1: Hi, everybody. It's another day in the life of Jill Lorenz. I hope you're doing well. I reminded myself today as I was talking with my engineer, Brian, who also does all the music for the commercials and everything, by the way, and he does an excellent job, that I hadn't really done a show about who I am and what I do for quite a while. I sort of hint at it And as I'm talking with doctors, uh, I, at that point, can show you my knowledge in the area of various dementias. But it's been a while since I actually just talked about who I am and what I do and where I get my expertise. So back in the late 90s, I, along with all my family members, started realizing that my mom was having some pretty severe symptoms of memory loss that did not seem to be normal aging. And as I got concerned about it, I decided to start reading books and went down to the Alzheimer's Association with my mom to have them talk to us about possibly what was going on and where we could go from there and and what our trajectory would be as we embarked on this journey. And when I did that, I found it interesting that the Alzheimer's Association was very small at that time in the in the Denver area. And so I volunteered. And I worked on the helpline for a long time. I managed the walk. I taught professional caregiver classes, I taught the family caregiver classes, I worked with the early stage group, and that went over a span of about 20 years. And as time went on, and the more and more people that I worked with, the more interested I became in not just Alzheimer's, but also frontal temporal, Parkinson's, and Lewy body. Part of my work at the Alzheimer's Association was to read the books that came in. So when a new new author would call and say they wanted to sell their book to the local association for them to resell, I would read those books and then let... The upper management know which ones I thought were the most helpful, the ones I thought maybe didn't hit the target uh what they pertained to was it a family history was it fiction like still Alice was it um was it one like by Howard Grutzner that talked about the various drugs that you take when you uh, have symptoms and what what is their efficacy what is their target uh how do how do we work with doctors when we want medications? when should we start working with person centered care and those types of things so uh I probably read over two hundred books easily in about a ten year process about these various dementias, but especially Alzheimer's. And because my mom was exhibiting Alzheimer's symptoms, that was my main area of focus. And it was really important to me to learn as much as I could about what was happening to her so I could share that information with my family. And when I first took the Savvy Caregiver class in 2001, which was a product of Mayo Clinic, Dr. Ken Hepburn and his team created what they thought was a really good comprehensive package, a 12-hour, six-week class that families could take. Uh, I learned everything I could about that and would send information home to my family and uh, I would also share with them things that I learned from the classes that I was teaching, the Savvy Caregiver classes that I was teaching and facilitating. And it really helped my family to understand the stages and be ahead of the game with what was happening with my mom. And I always felt like information was knowledge. I felt like The more information I had, the better I could help her to not be afraid and the more proactive we could be in assisting her with whatever came up, you know, with her repetitive questions, with incontinence, with, you know, some somewhat bizarre behavior or things that she would say that seemed hurtful to other family members or letting people she didn't know into the house and how were we going to deal with that how were we going to you know assist her without um really just taking over her life and and not giving her the right to be a part of it we needed to be very inclusive and and thoughtful in our process so with that, we were able to hire a person named Amy to come in and work with my mom. And we talked about, you know, when she wasn't able to drive anymore. And those were things that every family goes through to a degree. You know, when do you hire health care or a home care person to come in? When do you tell somebody that they're not able to drive anymore? We dealt with bathing issues and, uh, you know, her health and well-being and and needing color contrast for her and when she struggled looking in the mirror and things that I deal with now every single day with my clients. I've lived it. I've walked it. I have have been 100,000 miles on that trek with, (laughs) you know, so that I can help all of you at this point in time. So it was really important for me to be able to share what I had learned and even the mistakes that we felt as a family that we made and the good things that we did that were proactive and helpful all the way around and made her life and our lives easier. We dealt with the stress of the situation and how we How we relate it with family members and, you know, even having my niece Emily come and sit with my mom in the afternoons was not wholeheartedly successful. It was, I think, very traumatic for Emily. And again, all these were things that I learned through the process of of her care. And so many years later, around 2015, as I was working at the Alzheimer's Association, They eliminated the savvy caregiver classes and they also eliminated the leaders in dementia care classes in 2017. And the early stage groups could only meet They were meeting every Tuesday forever and ever, amen, you could come as often as you wanted, and that changed to the person could only come for two months out of the time of their disease, which I actually think is just absurd because I didn't, I don't know when anybody can actually say this is the two months on this long journey that I need to be able to... um, have this group for my loved one, and go into a support group myself while they're in a taking charge class and having some activity for their brain and and engagement. So all these things became very important to me, and I decided through the urging of my good friend, Amelia Schaefer, who until recently was the executive director of the Colorado Alzheimer's Association, to start my own company. So I did. Summit Resilience Training. Summit is simply... The street I grew up on, where my mom's house was, and still is. And resilience is overcoming obstacles and adversity to find a positive outcome. And what I want to do is to help train family caregivers and professional caregivers how to interact and communicate as best they can when they are working and encountering people with memory and cognitive loss. And so I built my company on that platform, and originally the plan was to have family caregiver classes and also uh, change that savvy caregiver class into something that was much more comprehensive that wasn't just focused on the caregiver and having them take care of themselves and – by the way, did we tell you to take care of yourself and – Let's tell you one more time to take care of yourself. No, I think families needed to understand that there's a certain amount of responsibility that lies with the care that affects the person with the disease and how they react to your actions. And if I could train family members in how to best approach their loved ones and understand that we can't change the disease, but we can change the way we interact with the person and understand that they feed off of our energy, that we could maybe change the way caregivers in general worked with their loved ones and reduced their stress level as they were doing so. Because so many people that are caring for their loved ones get sick and stressed out and have health issues to get to a point where they can't care for that person any longer long before that person ever expires and passes away. So as I reworked my plan, that t- that 12-hour class became an eight-hour class, and I spoke more about the brain and how the brain functions and what its lobes are intended to produce and do for us. And when we see impairment with some type of dementia, most especially Alzheimer's, how would that change the way that lobe was funct- functioning? And I think that that makes a big difference to people. I think caregivers learn how that how that brain piece functions and then they can adequately respond and engage much more appropriately. And this could be a great panacea for all of you That means an ends to the means, a way to work through something successfully in a better way that really has stronger efficacy and makes you feel like you're getting the results that you want to see. Because it makes a difference the way we interact with people. It really, really does. That's the one thing you can change. That's the way you can make your existence and your and your engagements more meaningful for not only that person but yourself. So that was a big that was a big thing for me to be able to create that. I also changed the professional training to focus more on not just the person with the diagnosis, but again, how that professional caregiver would work with that person if they're in a memory unit, a group home, uh, assisted living, whatever it is, and to focus more on your responsibility and your role for your actions and understanding what you're seeing when you see symptoms and how not to over-address them or become emotional when you're trying to address them and look for the best possible responses that you can give when you're working with someone and they show a symptom of some type. Oftentimes, the the symptom is caused by their environment or their surroundings, and what can you do to change that and make it better? So those two areas were where I really wanted to focus, the family classes and the professional classes. It didn't take long before... I decided to go down a path that no one in Denver wanted to take, seemingly, and that is to go into someone's home and provide an in-home assessment. I am non-medical, so I work with neurologists that can provide a diagnosis. And oftentimes, I can meet with someone and pretty well comprehend what dementia disease they have, but I always send them to a neurologist to make that decision. I don't do that for them. But if the decision has already been made during the in-home assessment, I can tell that family what stage that person is in. And so... That has become a bigger focus, I think, of my company than I ever expected it to be. And it changed everything about my company to a huge degree. So I had been working sort of on the side uh, with Dr. Huntington Potter and also Samantha Holden, Dr. Samantha Holden, and I sat on panels with them, or they would invite me to be a part of conferences for the University of Colorado Hospital Department of Neurology, and I would often come and speak to groups with them on a panel with them to address their questions, and Dr. Potter would take the research Samantha Holden is not only a clinician, she is the director of the Rocky Mountain Alzheimer's Center for Dementia and Memory Loss, but she is also a researcher, so she could handle any of those questions, and I would handle the questions coming from a caregiver side or family's concerns. And through that, Uh, I decided at one point when I was asked to be on a radio show with Dr. John Torres and Murphy Houston here in Denver, Uh, Murphy is a longtime DJ, about 40 years here in Denver, and he was on Cozy 101, and uh, Murphy's father, who lives in a different state, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and he asked me to come on this show when he heard me at one of those conferences. And so I went on the show. I talked to him about some strategies and techniques for his dad, and I guess the rest, as you say, is history because then uh, about a week later, I was in San Diego, California with my husband at a conference, and I received a call from Intercom which is a big nationwide radio programming uh company and they asked me if I would like to have my own show and i had i had been a musician most of my life and was comfortable in front of a microphone and in front of crowds but i had not really thought about being on the radio but i said sure <laughs> and I called one of the local communities in town where I had done training for the last couple of years and asked them if they would be my sponsor, and they said yes. And so the next two years, every week, I had a half-hour show, and I would bring in strategies and techniques and resources, much as I am doing now, to my listeners. But my audience was literally... Denver area, south to Colorado Springs, north to Fort Collins, and east to Eagle County and Vail. And I said to myself, if I think small, I'm going to stay small. And at that time, podcasts had started to arise and make themselves known. Not very many people were doing podcasts, but it occurred to me that it might be Better for me if I could take my message and my help to caregivers and professionals nationwide, worldwide. So I decided to start a podcast. And now I am four years into my podcast, and thanks to Brian, he helps me every week to bring this information to you so that you can educate yourself and feel like you're in control of your situation to a certain degree, or if nothing else, feel like you are not alone. Now, during the time that I was doing that radio show, I started inviting the doctors from the University of Colorado Hospital to be my guest. And that was probably one of the smartest things I ever did. On my three-year marketing plan, I had set for myself a goal to be able to work with the doctors at the University of Colorado Hospital in some way, shape, or form, but didn't know exactly what that was. And I had at one point sent a message to Dr. Huntington Potter, who's been a frequent guest and a recent guest, asking him if I could teach classes for the families that came through the research center and the uh, clinic. And at that time, they weren't really ready to do that. But one guest I had on the show was Dr. Benzie Kluger, who was the director of the Movements Disorders Clinic. And he works with people with Parkinson's and Lewy body. And so when Dr. Kluger came on my show, at that point it was my goal to show him my knowledge <laughs> and converse with him and after the show, uh he had talked about making a plan to be able to expand his clinic to be more holistic care which involved a clergy, which involved a social worker, which involved a PA, a physician's assistant, him and maybe somebody from the outside who could help with caregivers. And so we had a conversation for about an hour after we'd record our recorded our show and he asked me if I'd like to come and meet his team. I went the following Tuesday and the rest, as they say, was history. They invited me to come out and provide classes for their patients, and that was for the Parkinson's group. And honestly, I wasn't wholeheartedly familiar with Parkinson's, but Benzie had told me that 80% of people with Parkinson's have memory loss, so my Alzheimer's talks would translate to those caregivers. Well, I took it a step further, and one of the first people I had ever met at the Alzheimer's Association, Cheryl Seifert, had left in the late 1990s and had gone to the Parkinson's Association of the Rockies. And so I called Cheryl and she said, you know what? Friday is my last day. Why don't you come over on Friday, spend the whole day with me, and I'll teach you everything you ever wanted to know about Parkinson's disease. So I literally spent eight hours with her and then spent the next four years every quarter, teaching classes to the Parkinson's group at the hospital in a room that they would provide. And I would have about 40 to 60 people per class. During that time, they were inviting people with Alzheimer's and other memory loss to these classes, but my class was focused on Parkinson's disease. And it didn't take me very long to figure out that the people with Alzheimer's, that I felt were my people, weren't getting what they needed through those classes. So the former director of the Memories Disorders Clinic had retired, and Dr. Samantha Holden, who I mentioned earlier, had become the new director. And I called her on my way home from one of those classes and asked her, could it be possible if I could teach classes to the people that come through the Memories Disorders Clinic? And she said, absolutely. So for two years, every month, I have provided a class free of charge because I have a sponsor who helps me with this, and that is um, Spring Ridge Park Assisted Living in Wheat Ridge and Stacy Naslin. And she's the executive director there. And uh, those classes happen the first Wednesday of every month, 1.30 to 3.30, mountain time. And because of COVID, those classes are on Zoom right now. And even if I go back into the hospital, I will keep them on Zoom because I have people from all around the world who get in on those classes I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, I'll tell you what those classes entail, how you can register for them, and the rest of my story.
2: Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresilientstraining.com for more information.
0: Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz.
1: Okay, so I'm recapping my story today and how I got to where I am and what path I took to get here, to be able to give all of you strategies and techniques every week and bring you resources and information that I think will be helpful to your journey on whatever dementia diagnosis you happen to be on. So I was talking about the classes that I provide for the University of Colorado Hospital Neurology Department. I still provide the quarterly classes for the Parkinson's group. And enjoy that very, very much. But two years ago, I opened up the opportunity to be able to teach classes for the people with Alzheimer's. And that has been my wheelhouse. That's what my mom had for 23 years. It's what I have learned the most about. I know this disease inside and out, caring for my mom and caring for others with the diagnosis and their caregivers for over 20 years, I have just gained a wealth of information I can share with you from the time I volunteered and then worked at the Alzheimer's Association as a as an employee. So my classes for Alzheimer's, again, happens the first Wednesday of every month from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Every other month, I have the class where I talk about the brain and how the brain functions and what you will see when it is impaired with Alzheimer's or other dementias. And I also talk about... The other dementias. I talk about Parkinson's. I talk about Lewy body. I talk about frontal temporal. I talk about posterior cortical atrophy, which is a syndrome of Alzheimer's. I talk about FTD and why they are different and why it matters. And I think that class is super, super helpful to the people who take it. At least they tell me it it is. And many of them take it more than once on the opposite months throughout the year i dig deep into what all of you are dealing with in your own homes i get right down into that minutia with you of the symptoms that you are dealing with the frustration the anger the love the caring the 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 trepidation the ridiculousness of it all the anger the intimacy the lack of intimacy late stage, early stage, everything in between. So that has been a big portion of what I do as well. So recapping, I have my caregiver classes that are eight hours that I provide for families if they want to have a private class. I have my professional classes that I teach in communities, group homes, assisted living, memory units, so on and so forth, teaching professional caregivers person-centered care approaches so they know how to work with people and are taking a more compassionate and responsible approach to the care that they provide and owning that they provide actions that cause reactions and and really using a comprehensive approach to the way they work with someone. And then I have my in-home assessments where I come into a home and I will tell folks what stage a person is in. And when I'm finished with my in-home assessments, often I will write a very, very comprehensive report of what I have just witnessed, where I believe their stage of the disease currently is and where I think it's moving to. I look at the customization of my process of that person's life and interests and their activities, and I give them very, very good workable functional ideas of the way that they can utilize that person's history and change them into activities that are meaningful for that person. And uh, usually they are about 7 to 10 pages long and, again, completely customized for that person. When I do that, that those costs can typically run between, oh, anywhere from 200 to to $1,000 depending on if they want the report, how long it takes me, and how much they want me to customize that report to really work for that person specifically. So those are areas that I mainly work with. But then things started changing, (laughs) and I added more facets to my stable of services. So one of those things became advocacy. So I would have families call me and talk to me about issues they were having with the care community and how could they work with the Colorado Department of Public Health Ombudsman's office if they were in trouble. Well, I had something very similar with my mom, and it gave me a lot of information about the proper way and timing to work with the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Ombudsman's office if you're having an issue. And when the person has moved out is not the time. You need to bring them in. To help mediate if you 're not able to while that person 's still in the community, no matter what the problem is, if they haven 't if they 've had incontinence and they are now having ulcers or utis or or they 've been mistreated or something like that that 's the time when you would work with the ombudsman 's office. I had other points of advocacy, like um, s- people that Uh, have issues with something that is happening in their own personal life. An example of that was I had a gentleman who called me and said that his mom, who lived in another state, had purchased a home security system for $4,000 when she already had one in her home that she was paying $3,000 for. And the other company just came in, disabled the one that was there, left it in place, and put a new one in. Now she was paying $7,000 for two different places that she didn't need. And I worked with them on uh, trying to get that second company to take their, their, their computer program and their system out of her home. And it had to be a situation where we had to uh, – kind of threaten them with the power of attorney and getting local news to make a, a a point for us of, are we going to let this be a a decision by the people that are viewing, or do you just want to do the right thing? Because if you want to deal with the court of public opinion, chances are you're going to lose. And that has come into play many, many times in my advocacy piece of my company. So... So those things uh, became bigger issues and especially because once I started teaching classes for both the movements disorders and the memory disorders clinic, then when I was sending those in-home assessments to the doctors, I ended up getting more and more referrals from them and they have now added my information to what they send out with each patient that comes to the clinic. So they know about my classes. They know what I provide. And I get more and more families that will call me for in-home assessments and that advocacy piece when they don't have power of attorneys signed, when they don't have wills written out yet, when they don't have their directives or their loved one of do not resuscitate, or I don't want a feeding tube, or things like that. So those two worlds, my in-home assessments and advocacy, really meshed together. They collided, and they are now hand in hand. And so oftentimes, I am called to a home where the doctors perceive that there could be a problem, And I am a mandatory reporting agent. And if I come into a home and I see that someone has been left in feces-stained clothes for months on end or has not been showered or someone went out of their way to get a person that should not be signing paperwork to change their paperwork to their favor when things like that happen, I have to give families fair warning that as a mandatory reporting agent, they need to rectify this situation quickly with my suggestions, or I may have to report it to the local police department for a wellness check and a a case report, and then the next step is sending it to Adult Protective Services so that someone will step in on behalf of that person. That is probably the least fun, but sometimes most gratifying work that I do when I can act on the behalf of the person when people around them don't seem to be doing the things that they need to be doing or are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So that's a a part of my work that has become more predominant of late. And uh, interestingly enough, I'm seeing more and more cases, especially with the COVID locking us in our homes for the last year and three quarters, that people don't realize when they need to take an action to help somebody with their safety, they don't realize the the depth of danger that that person might be in at times. And I have to point it out to them. Um, You know, it's just, it's interesting how these things can play out. And I will say for the most part, people do the right thing, but not always. So another area that has expanded with my company is When I've gone on these in-home assessments, I can tell people, again, where I think their loved one is and how it relates to that care partner being able to deal with the scope of care. And when they can no longer handle the scope of care, the incontinence, the wiping the person's bottom, uh, they're changing their clothes, they're having to shower them, they're actually sitting at a kitchen table and feeding them or they're just flat out exhausted as a caregiver, this may be a time to consider a care community or memory unit. So I added a new facet to my company where I provide placement services. And I help those clients of mine who have been through my classes that are are contacting me through other outlets, maybe one of the support groups that I supply. That's another thing that I do with my company. Is I, I right now have three separate support groups: one for a specific community, one for for my own clients that have um, loved ones who are still dealing with whatever de- dementia it is. Or their loved one has passed away. I call it going forward from here. And then I have one the first Friday of every month for people with frontal temporal because those folks feel like they are out on an island by themselves and struggle often. So I spend a lot of time with my clients, with them in my classes, with them uh, having me provide in-home assessments. They're in my support groups. And then if they need the help, I will help them find a person-centered care community for their loved one to live in if they need that. And as a disclosure, I do give a disclosure document to that person, letting them know that I won't charge them for that process of looking for a home for their loved one because 10 communities or better that I work with, pay me a a fee if a person moves into their home. But I don't work with 703 communities. I work with about 10. I work with only communities that I feel have person-centered cares that is in symmetry with the work that I do with families. And so I hope that that's just another great option and service that I can supply for people to help them with that journey when that difficult decision has been made, that they can no longer adequately care for their person that they love. So those have become the biggest the biggest things that I do with my work. One of the things that I also had on my three-year plan when I first started my company was working with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. And I submitted my work, what I do, To that group because they're important. They help make all the rules with how community and procedures of how uh, communities are supposed to run. And they have a list of people who can provide training for them. And there's about 12 people on it, and my company is one of them. I am the only one of the 12 that does not have a nursing degree or something of that nature. Um, that can go in or administrator's license that can go into communities and help with the policies and procedures and so on and so forth. I do not have my administrator's license, so I don't work with that piece. But I can go in and train the staff, and I do provide eight-hour classes. Uh, And the state of Colorado has now made it mandatory that each year you have to have an eight-hour class for every employee that you have Sometime throughout the year. That was supposed to start in 2020, but COVID hit, and now we're having to pick back up where that left off. So I'm very proud to say that I am on that list of trainers that they think highly of and believe in my work, and I appreciate that greatly. And through that, I was invited to be a part of the board of the Colorado Coalition for Culture Change with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. And I've been on that board now that works with the care communities and the memory units for a year. And I love my work on that board. Um, we recently did a lot of videos and went into communities and talked to, talked to the caregivers about the stresses they were feeling through through COVID and We talked to many doctors who were having to to go into the communities in full mask and so on and so forth. And what was that like for everybody? And try to bridge the gap between when changes were happening and when can families go back in and visit with their family members that they've been kept away from for a year and so on and so forth. And um, I really like the work that I do with them. I I really appreciate that greatly. So – as this all sort of culminated in the last year, I have brought more and more neurologists and psychiatrists and psychologists into my work. And right now, I am working with 14 different people in that realm through the University of Colorado Hospital between the Movements Disorders Clinic and the Memories Disorders Clinic. And I really cherish all of the doctors that I work with. And a big thanks to uh, Samantha Holden and Huntington Potter, Breanne Boettcher, uh Dr. Christina Vaughn, um, Dr. Peter Pressman, Dr. Christopher Lilly, and all the PAs and social workers and, and the various psychologists and psychiatrists that I work with who send me their patients. It started off where I I got about one or two referrals, maybe a week. At this point in time, I get somewhere on average of about 15 per week from the hospital. And so I think they have single-handedly built my company. (laughs) And I tell them every month how much I appreciate the fact that they support my work And work with me so well. If I send an email to them, they answer me quickly. And I've asked families when I do those in home assessments if I can send that information to the doctors who they are working with there so that the doctors are able to not only see into their life in the 15-minute or half-hour appointment they have, but they get a glimpse into that person's actual living conditions and the whole dynamic with the family through the reports I write. And so it has really changed the trajectory of the way we are working with families here in Colorado and I'm very proud that I work so closely with all those neurologists and that they read my reports and they give me feedback afterwards and they help me with the cases that I'm on. And if I'm in a situation where I see something that needs immediate attention, they answer me quickly. It's It's been such a blessing. So with that, um, every week I drop a new show. And I bring lawyers like Clara Lee Charlton on the show to talk about what you can take off on your taxes when you're caring for somebody, or what are the legalities behind the power of attorney and the validity of them uh, for the power of attorney for finance and for um, uh, medical. And getting wills written and what are trusts and all that kind of stuff. I've had my husband on uh, who is a division chief of police who talks about the legality of taking someone's driver's license away or neglect issues or when to call the police when when there's problems with caregiving. Um, and he also goes out of his way to teach thousands and thousands of sheriffs, deputies and police officers throughout the state of Colorado in best ways to approach people on domestic violence calls or in traffic stops or somebody walking down the street who is lost and uh we've taken that to a whole new level. On a personal level, my sister and Sue and I started the CareTrack Foundation in Decatur, Illinois, my hometown. And we trained the local sheriff's department and police. And that was in 2007. And here we are in 2021. And the program is still up and running. And it is an electronic device that a person with Alzheimer's or even a child with autism can wear. And they uh, can—it has a radio signal. And if they wander off or hide or get lost— the local police can use that radio signal and find them because they have a tracker that works with the with the radio signal that's on the watch that these folks are wearing and not only is that in my hometown and it's free to everyone We were able to get that for the city of Wheat Ridge through my husband, and Lutheran Hospital pays for it, so it's free to people in Colorado. If you're ever interested in, or in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, if you're ever interested in that, um, it's called Project Lifesaver in a lot of places. It's called CareTrack, and I'm sure it's gone all around the world at this point. So look for that in your neighborhood, or if you don't have it, um, look it up. Uh, just through the names I just gave you, and you can find more information. Last but not least, I built an office out of my website, and I added a knowledge center that has 45 pieces of information for you of everything you ever wanted to know. What is Medicaid? What is Medicare? What is hospice? How does hospice work with an entire family? Um, taking the car keys away, getting an independent science stud- scientific study of when a person uh, is unable to have good reaction times and letting letting a computer system or a scientist figure out whether or not they're able to drive. Um, it has bathing without a battle. It has the various dementias on it. I have information about research going on all around the world. This and much, much more. So I post all of my podcasts there if you ever want to go on and listen to a particular podcast or put in something with like troubling behaviors or Dr. Huntington Potter or research or whatever. Those podcasts will come up and you can choose which one you want to listen to. And I always label what the show is about and write a little information so you don't have to guess about what you're listening to. So, I thought today, if I just kind of gave you an overall view of what I do, that might help you to understand why I provide the strategies and techniques and resources that I do to help each and every one of you every week. I hope you find it helpful. I love getting your cards, letters, emails, and your comments on my website, Summit Resilience Training dot com. Again, Summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, Resilience, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E, Training.com. And you can always reach me at 303-420-6988. Please call between the hours of 8 and 5 p.m. Mountain Time. I will not answer after that (laughs) because it is my home office. But um, I hope that All the resources I bring to you week in and week out, you feel like maybe I'm reading your mind sometimes or that I'm addressing situations that you need addressed and giving you the real skinny on information, and I just always hope that I'm able to assist you in any way I possibly can. I have years and years of experience. I have so many clients that I can draw off of, and I don't think I will ever run out of content. All right, I hope that's been helpful. I hope to hear from you, and I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz.
0: You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, Or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at Training.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.